Spirit for the mighty things you've been doing and for the greater things you will do even this morning. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. Our eyes will be opened this morning even further and it will bring us into the experience of the things that you have said. And Lord, will become exhibits, proofs of your reality, of the efficacy of your word. Thank you, Lord, because the word is fruitful in our lives and is producing results to the glory and praise of your name. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. God bless you. Thank you so much, choir. God bless you richly. Hallelujah. There's so much to happen today. I wish I would stay to the end. I'm just wondering what tonight will look like. Having built up the energy, the revelation, everybody will be ready to soar in the glory. Glory to God. This morning, I want to continue with my exposition. Our conference is tagged the revelation of Jesus. And so our goal is to ensure that everyone encounters him, knows him personally before leaving this mountain. John was speaking in 1 John chapter 1 from verse 1. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. He said, that is what we have committed to you. He said, for the life was with the Father. He said, but it was manifested unto us, we have seen him, and therefore, we invite you into this fellowship. And he said, truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning again, we trust that Jesus will be made manifest and he will no longer be an ideology. He will be the person that we can touch and walk with and by his spirit advance progressively and productively through life. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we have declared. Matthew chapter 16 from verse 13. Let me begin my journey from there this morning. He said, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, I am? It became necessary for Jesus to infer because there was so much activity going on. There was so much religion going on. Institutions had been built. But Jesus, at this point, wanted to know if they really understood the very essence of all the activities. And he said, who do men say, I, the son of man, I am. And here, were some of the surprises that we saw. Knowing that there was a system of the Sanhedrin put in place. Wise men 
that their life occupation is to study the Torah. In fact, they have studied it. They are like professors of the Torah. They have many schools of thought, many worship sessions, many institutions. Here were their conclusions about Jesus. Some say you are John the Baptist. After many years of studying the Torah, after establishing institutions, schools of thought, this was the best they could come out with. Some say you are John the Baptist. Because they felt the power he was manifesting was a product of his resurrection. Probably John had risen from the dead. Some say you are Elias. Because when they studied their Torah, Elijah was one of the most powerful prophets. He called down fire from heaven. Some say you are Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah is a weeping prophet. When he speaks, people are transformed. They weep and they wail. And the way you speak these hard words, probably you are Jeremiah manifesting in another generation. And some say you are one of the prophets. So their greatest revelation of him was a prophet. When he saw that the institutions that existed could not discern his being and his person, he not turned to the disciples. I don't blame them because they've not been with me, but at least you have been here for a while. Who do you say I am? And to your greatest dismay, like myself, no one knew him. Not one of the disciples knew him. All they saw was a miracle worker. All they saw was a great healer. All they saw was a great teacher. It was at that moment that the heart of Peter opened to the heavens. So before that time, none of them knew him. But Peter by the Spirit spoke and said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. He said, but my father, which is in heaven, has revealed this truth to you. And so Jesus cannot be studied. Jesus can only be known by revelation. And so our goal this morning is not an attempt to advance theological perspectives. Our goal this morning is an attempt by the Holy Spirit to open the realms of the Spirit and the Word of God so you will encounter Him. Because until the Father reveals Him, He cannot be known. Last night, I began generically to express and to explain the person of Christ. This morning, I will try to stay in tune with this revelation that this scripture has advanced. Because this is a compendium of the totality of the revelation of Christ. When he asked, this was the answer himself approved. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. But in order to remind us of some of the things we shared yesterday, let me do a, a very short recap. The generic understanding that we have of Jesus before we go into this specific understanding. And bear it in mind that I said yesterday that the revelation of Jesus is also what helps us to understand who we are. Because our reality is intrinsically connected to the Christ. It's when we know him that we know ourselves. One of the greatest calamity of existence is the fact that men define themselves by things. And because the devil knows this, he has made a mess of many. 
And so you find many people today who build relevance from material things. You find many people today who build relevance from mundane things. They don't know who they are. Because you cannot be defined by things. A man's value is not in the multitude of his possession. You can only be defined by your connection and connectivity to Christ. That's why he said, as he is, so are we in this world. So it's when we know him that we will know who we are. Praise God. And so last night, I attempted to generically explain who the Christ is and invariably who we are. And there were three things I advanced. Number one, I said Jesus is God personified. I said Jesus is God made flesh. I said Jesus is God manifested. And I gave us scriptures from John chapter 1 verse 1 and verse 14. He said in the beginning was the word. He said the word was with God and the word was God. And in verse 14, he said, the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And we use this scripture to explain what it means to be son of God. Son of God was actually derived from this scripture. He was begotten of the father. That's why he's called the son of God. But I also said, this is not a biological process. Because many religions of the world advance the argument that Jesus, God cannot have a son because God does not have a wife. And I told us humorously yesterday that even in the animal kingdom, the list of animals are able to beget children without having wives. Like the Amoeba. The Amoeba can divide into two and replicate itself without having a wife. So you mustn't have a wife to beget. So when we say Jesus is the son of God, we are talking about a spiritual process where God became flesh. The word that was God becoming flesh. And Jesus himself affirmed to this reality. In John chapter 8 verse 58, when he was talking to the Pharisees, he told them, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what he meant. So they took up stones to stone him. Because what he was saying was affirming that he was God and he was revealing himself to be the very person that appeared to Moses on the mountains of Sinai when God met him in Exodus 3 14 he said who do I tell them you are he said when you go tell them I am that I am have sent you so Jesus was invariably saying I was the one that appeared to Moses so they couldn't take it they took up stones and they wanted to stone him. So they himself affirmed that he was God. And he's not just God. He is the fullness of God in expression. Because Colossians 2.9 said, He pleased the Father that the fullness of the Godhead should dwell in him bodily. So Jesus was God manifested. And I told you yesterday that that was the first time the angels were seeing God in his fullness. Because although they were in heaven, they had never seen him. In Isaiah 66 verse 1, he said, where is the house that you have built for me? He said, where is the place of my dwelling? He said, for heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. And I told you what the throne does. The dimensions of God keep manifesting on the throne. And the angels will worship. When they look up, they see another dimension. They worship, they look up, they see another dimension. So for aeons, 
different dimensions kept manifesting to show you the boisterous nature of God. He is inexhaustible. They've never seen the totality of his dimension. What they saw a moment ago, when they look up, they see a completely different thing. So they worship again. They look up, they see a completely different thing. They worship. So the throne manifested different dimensions of God. The very first time the fullness of God was trapped in one vessel was when Jesus walked the earth. So as men were seeing him, angels were also seeing him for the first time. Because that was the first time they saw God. But the beauty of the revelation is not just the fact that Jesus embodied God. The beauty of the revelation is the fact that that became a system that God created for humankind. So because the human vessel is the structure that was designed to host God, Jesus was no longer the only one who hosted God. When he resurrected and we received him, every one of us became a carrier of God. And when Paul was teaching in Colossians 1, 26 and 27, he said, this is the mystery of the age. This reality has never happened. There is no one angel that can control, contain God in fullness. There is no being that can contain God in fullness. But in man, it says Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so that revelation of Jesus being the custodian of God introduces us into the equation of glory. So every one of us seated here who is born of God is a glorified being. This is why Romans chapter 8 from verse 30, the Bible wrote, he said, him that he foreknew, he predestinated. Him that he, pre he predestinated, he called. Him that he called, he justified. And him that he justified, he didn't say he will glorify. He said he already glorified. So every one of us here is a glorified being. And so this will also impact on our spiritual activity. Our prayer is no longer the prayer they prayed before Jesus came. When we pray now, we are trying to stir the glory. Because this glory is in eighteen vessel. There is a glory already on your inside. So when you are praying, what you are doing is that you are journeying from transformation into transfiguration. And ultimately into transubstantiation. Because a day will come when this eighteen vessel will be taken off. And it is your glorified reality that will be seen. And I told you, because of this, when you walk out, you cannot be intimidated. So it's no longer a car that defines you. It's no longer a job that defines you. When you come into a place, you know that you are coming with God on your inside. When you come into a situation, you know that you are coming with God on your inside. There is no situation that can define you anymore. Because Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. So that you too can become a carrier of God. Everyone seated here now carries the fullness of God. He said, of his fullness, have we all received grace heaped upon grace? If Christians understood this alone, our lives would change. Your whole existence will become staring, discovering, searching every dimension of God that is on your inside. You will become a spiritual archaeologist. One day you wake up, you are taking a fast for one month, and what you are looking for is knowledge. Because that knowledge is already on your inside. Another month you are praying. And what you are looking for is favor. Another month you are praying. What you are looking for is power. Because all of them is already on your inside. So as you press in the spirit. You are searching different dimension. Because the totality of reality is on your inside. The second thing we said was that Jesus is the author 
of life. And I said, because of this, he is both creator and animator of realities. That means he is the one that has the power to bring into existence the things that are not. And it does not only bring into existence, everything he brings into existence, he animates them. Everything that comes into existence, he animates them. And that same scripture validates it. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. John chapter 1 verse 1. In verse 2 he said, the same was in the beginning with God. And he said, all things, not some things. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. So he is the source and the author of life. And I said, every one of us who carries Christ now, by extension, have also received the life of God. So we are not functioning by biological life only. We are functioning by the exact life that God carries. That's why he said that life is the light of men. So everything we do now, we do from the premise of that life. This is why the things men suffer, we cannot suffer. Because we have a different kind of life on our inside. Men may die of cancer, not we. Men may die of diabetes, not we. Because there is another life in us beyond the animal life. I've taught it before that man has three kinds of life. There is the animal life that is in the blood. According to Leviticus 17 verse 11. It said the life of the flesh is in the blood. There is the soulish life that is in the soul that powers the mind. He said in Genesis 2, 7, that when God formed the man from the dust, he breathed into his nostril and the man became a living soul. That's where men stopped. But we went a bit further. We didn't stop with the animal life. We didn't stop with the soulish life. When we receive Jesus, we receive the God life. That one is not in the body. It's not in the soul. It's in the spirit. So you have bios in the blood. You have suke in the mind. But you have soe in your spirit and so first john chapter 5 verse 11 it said this is the record this is the testimony that you may know that the son has given us eternal life because many are not aware there are many christians today who still think they are like the worldly guy they still think they are like the guy who is walking on the street we are not the same they are the ones who think we are the same in reality, we are not. That's why when Paul was writing about the believer, there was no name he could call him that would be correct. He now called him new creation. If he calls him man and he stops there, he will be wrong. Because every man walking on the earth today has two lives. The blood life and the soulish life. But you are here walking. The life of God is on your inside. Are they going to call you man or are they going to call you God? Because you have now become a hybrid creature. And it's on that note that the Bible said, him that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So you can't separate me from the Holy Ghost. I am in him, he's in me. He's in me, I'm in him. When you touch me, you touch him. When you touch him, you touch me. We have become a compound spirit. But you see, they cannot understand this. This is why you need the Holy Ghost. Because there are certain things you need to understand by faith. It said in 1 Corinthians 2.12, we have not received the spirit that is of this world. It said we have received the spirit that is of God. That we may know the things that are freely given to us by God. And it said which things we speak. 
not with words that man's wisdom teacheth. It said, but the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. It said, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And he said, who has known the mind of God that he may judge him? He said, but we have the mind of Christ. So we can understand these things. And we don't just understand it, we leave it. Because you leave it, nothing you touch dies. Because you leave it, nothing you touch fails. Because the altar of life is on your inside. The fountain of life is flowing out of you. That's why Jesus told us, lay hands on the sick, they will recover. He didn't necessarily say pray for the sick. There's nothing wrong praying for the sick. But there is something flowing from you. That when you touch a man, it's not just hand that touched him. Life flows. It's like current. When you touch a naked wire, are you going to be defining the copper? No. Something more than copper will touch you. Something more than aluminum will touch you. A vibration will enter you. A force will enter you. An energy will enter you. So when we touch men, they don't feel our skin. They feel the anointing. They feel the life of God. They feel the power. Because now we know that we carry that life. This is Christianity. Christianity is not a religion. It is divinity expressed through humanity. It is God manifested through his children. This is who we are. Because that life dwells on our inside. You see what the fathers of old knew. That informed the kind of songs they sang. Somebody goes to church and meditates and when these things become real to him, he just stands up and says, Darling Jesus, darling Jesus, oh my darling Jesus, you are a wonderful Lord. I love you so much. Darling Jesus, oh my darling Jesus, you are the one. You know, those guys were gospel people. They are not like this, our people nowadays. That everything is just like, hey, yeah, yeah, hey, no, no, they, they, something was happening to them. They were so persuaded that they carried something. And I'm not saying what we are doing is necessarily wrong, but I'm saying the gospel must become the foundation of our lives. Jesus is the life. And finally, I told us that Jesus is our enabler. Jesus is what powers us because at some point the calamities of life will want to depress you at some point your immaturity will want to affect you at some point your ignorance will want to affect you so what god did through the holy ghost was to create a standby system the standby system that causes you to remain always on top you know as light is here there is a standby generator that the moment light goes off the generator comes on the moment light goes off power comes on that's what jesus has become to us he is our sustainer he is our enabler and i told us in order to understand it there are seven dimensions of enablement that the bible speaks about number one the bible says jesus is the bread of life he said, if any man eats of him, he said, he will never die. So Jesus becomes our strength. When we move around, we don't move around 
continually making progress just because we are smart there is something happening on our inside and this bread is not just the logos it's the rema of god and so i told you yesterday that some of us you may be going through a health crisis and it looks as if all hope is lost and while you are waiting in god's presence suddenly a word will pop up and that word will become your in your healing you may be going through a crisis on your job and everybody has ganged up against you it looks as if you have come to the end of the road as you are walking in the place of prayer suddenly a word pops up and on the strength of that word that pops up your spirit is energized and then you go back and defy the situation that should have swallowed you so what your spirit feeds on is the rema word of god what your spirit feeds on is the word of god that comes to you in season and that energy takes you out of every crisis you find yourself in number two jesus said i am the door and so every christian has access regardless of what men or the devil is doing see if you know these things your life will become unstoppable i know the place of having some natural advantages like your certificate like human connection but that will never be enough for your destiny you know why because you are not dealing only with men you are dealing with spirits and when you are dealing with spirits human connection is not enough when you are dealing with spirits even your values are not enough when you are dealing with spirit, your certificate will not be enough. You will need a spirit source and a spirit base to depend upon. And Jesus is that ever-reliant, ever-sustainable force that you can build your life on. With Jesus, even if there is no way, he will make one. Even if there is no door, he will make another. So he tells you ahead of time. Because there will be many blockages in your path of destiny. He said, I am the door. And he said, whoever enters through me, we go in and out and he will find pasture. And so the reason you find Christian, a Christian always having enough is because he has found another door. And that door is a person. John chapter 10 verse 9. I am the door. He went further. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty five. So now he's not just life that sustains you while you are alive. He is now the resurrection. So in case something dies in you, he has the power to bring it back to life. Because if it was only the bread of life, he would have improved the quality of your life. Now he is the resurrection. So if anything were to die in you, he has the power to bring it back. And this was how Jesus himself put it. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, whoever believes in me, if he were alive, he will never die. And he said, if he were dead, he will come back to life. And I told you that to prove that what he was saying was not theory, he announced this thing in front of the grave. There was a dead man there who was buried for four days. So what I'm saying is not theology. I'm about to demonstrate it. And when he finished, he went to the tomb and shouted, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible said, him that was dead came back to life. So with this understanding nothing dies in your life and so the revelation of jesus is not just a doctrine we teach it's a life we live and so when people see you a business was failing you took it over and started working and they are wondering which principle did you apply 
Which strategy are you using? Which uh, economic principle? You tell them, yes, I studied economics. But over and above economics, there is a life force that I inject into this thing. Because you come into your business. While you enter your shop, before you started, you lifted your hands. And you say, Father, this business is blessed. They don't study that one in Harvard. Oxford cannot include that one. That one comes from heaven. So in addition to what you learned, there is a product of heaven that you impart into what you do. That is the resurrection power. This consciousness will change and revolutionize your life forever and ever. There are many people walking today, they are hoping that things will not fail. If you are hoping, you will die. Because things will fail. The devil will make sure of it. So we don't walk through life hoping. We walk through life dominating by faith. We don't hope, we know. We believe and we act accordingly. Because if we hope, we'll be disappointed. If we hope, the devil will defeat us. We come with a force. When you see a man rising, every demon is aware of him. The reason he's rising is because they can't stop him. They have tried everything. It's not working. And the reason they can't stop him is because he has met the resurrection and the life. So he knows that there is a dimension of enablement that animates everything in him that is dying. And he continued like that. I am divine. He continued like that. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So he gave us seven dimensions of enablement that I listed yesterday. And I don't have the time to go over all of it. And finally, I told us, all of these things are true. But you have to learn how to appropriate them. And I said there were four ways of appropriation. Number one, consciousness. And I say consciousness has three levels. From awareness to alignment to oneness. When you become conscious of a thing and you remain focused on that thing, after a while, you start aligning with that thing unconsciously. And after a while, you become one with that thing. That's what we call resonance. You are vibrating at the same frequency. And Paul gave us the best way of building consciousness. In Colossians chapter 3 from verse 1 to 3, he said, if you say you are risen with Christ, he said, set, he said, seek those things that are above. So if you want to be conscious of a reality, you seek it. And he didn't stop there. He said, now that you have sought it, he said, set your affection on those things. Make yourself know those things enough to love them. And he said, when you love them, he said, declare that that is your reality. Stay there. Live there. Whatever the circumstance you go through, don't leave those confessions. Don't leave those thoughts. Don't leave those awareness. Don't leave those assurance. Over time, your consciousness will dominate your circumstances. And then number two, I said you believe it. When you become aware of it, get yourself to believe it. That this thing is true. And it will take a lot of study and meditation to believe in a reality. And then I said, after believing it, confess it. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made. So you cannot be catapulted into experience until you talk it. And so I said, believe it and confess it. The way the devil destroys men is that he gets them to confess only the wrong things. So even those who believe correctly but confesses wrongly don't get the result. So you must believe correctly 
and also confess correctly to come into the reality. And I said, finally, when you have stepped into the reality, always testify so that God will take the glory. In Luke 17, verse 17 to 19, 10 lepers were healed. Only one came back. That is the percentage of gratitude among the human race. Every time you see one person say, thank God, nine didn't say it. Every time you see 10 people say, thank God, 90 didn't say it. Every time you see 100 people say, thank God, 900 didn't say it. That is how ungrateful men are. And so you must not fall into the quadrant of the ungrateful men. Be the one that will come back and say, thank you, master. And I told you there is a benefit for the grateful ones. Beyond what God gave them, they will be established. He said, go, be made whole. That is where we stopped yesterday. And so we affirmed and concluded that generically speaking, Jesus is God made flesh. Number two, Jesus is the source and the author of life. And number three, Jesus is the enabler of men. Now let's go a bit into the anatomy of Jesus Christ. From Matthew 16, verse 13 to verse 19. Who do men say, I, the son of man, I am? There are two dimensions to this revelation. The first dimension to this revelation is the revelation of the Christ. The second dimension to this revelation is the revelation of the Son of God. You have not known Jesus until you know him as the Christ and until you know him as the Son of God. And these two revelations have different impact it will hold on your life and so very quickly let's begin who is the christ the word christ i'm not doing theology <laughs> but <laughs> i may need to explain some things theologically for us to get it praise god but i'm trusting that the holy ghost is going to reveal these things to us even while I am here talking. You know, the apostles did a lot of business in their time. Because in their time, people didn't even believe that the Messiah had come. In their time, they were still waiting like some are waiting till today. And apart from that, to come and pick one man out and say, this is the Messiah, they may stone you to death. So they needed to be equipped with scriptures. If you study Acts 18, verse 5 and verse 28 you are going to see that sometimes this teaching results in argument everything i'll be saying here this morning you are going to sit down quietly nodding because perhaps 90 percent of us already have an idea and we accept it even though we don't know it fully in the days of paul when you are talking they'll say wait wait this thing is wrong this prophet said this why are you saying this if you are talking, they'll say, wait, wait, apostle, wait first, apostle. So it's not a teaching you do under an, an atmosphere. It's a teaching you do under rugged conviction. And the proof of that teaching is that the power must manifest. That's why when I taught you yesterday, I didn't pray for anybody. I told you, if you have believed it, pray for yourself. And many persons were healed to prove that it's not a lecture. If it is true, power must manifest. But in the days of the apostles, look at what happens. Happened. Acts 18 verse 5. Why Paul was teaching. He said, and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit 
and he testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Go to verse 28. For he mightily, it had gone from testifying to convincing. For he mightily convinced the Jews and that convinced the Jews and that publicly showing them by scripture that Jesus is the Christ. So he had to convince them and used a lot of scripture because it was a debate. When you say this, they counter you. When you say this, they counter you. So these guys did not just know this truth. They were able to debate you into believing it. So they, that means they, have, they had mastered it. In 1 Corinthians 1.23, he said, We preach Christ and him crucified to the Jews. See what he calls it. So when you are saying this thing, this is how the Jews are looking at you. It's a stumbling block. They think you are trying to cut off prophecy or you are trying to obscure prophecy. And he said to the Greeks, it is foolishness. So when you are saying this man that was crucified is the Christ, they look at you as a man who is beside himself. In our generation, they have labored already. So many people are already aware of Jesus. It's easy, but we are not preaching him. In the days of Paul, when you preach him, the Jews call you a stumbling block. The Greek call you a foolish man, but they didn't stop. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2 from verse 1, he said, when I came unto you, I did not come with excellency of speech, declaring unto you the counsel of God. He said, but I came with the demonstration of spirit and power that you may believe that your faith may be established not on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. But what was this demonstration? That Jesus is Christ crucified. That Jesus is the Messiah. So this morning, if you are a Christian and you don't know the Christ, your journey has not started. So who is the Christ? There are three basic definitions of the Christ. I know the Christ is an office. An office that makes it possible for humankind to deal with God. But theologically speaking, there are three expressions that gives you an accurate understanding of this personality called the Christ and also helps you to utilize the things it makes available. In the New Testament, the word Christ is the word Christos and it was used over 500 times. Now, this word was transla translated from a Hebrew word or transliterated from a Hebrew word called Mashiach. And the word Mashiach was used 39 times. Out of the 39 times, 37 times it was used as the anointed one. Only twice was it used as a messenger. So the word Christos, which is the word Christ, is the word the anointed one. Now, if you want to understand the scope and the sphere of this anointed one, you also have to go back to the Old Testament to check the context in which it was used. And all the time this word was used in the Old Testament, it represented three things. Number one, it represented the office of the priest. Number two, it represented the office of the prophet. And number three, it represented the office of a king. So when we are talking about the Christ, we are talking about the anointed one, and we are talking about the anointed one to be priest, to be prophet, and to be king. Let me read a few scriptures, and then I'll tell you the implication it has on you, the believer. Because every one of us who is a believer, Christ, therefore, 
is our priest. That's what we mean when we say you are the Christ. Christ, therefore, is our prophet. And Christ, therefore, is our king. If you don't know Christ as your priest, as your prophet, and as your king, you have not known him. So when Peter said, you are the Christ, Peter was making a threefold statement. You are the prophet, you are the priest, you are the king. And you will see the implication as I go further. But let me show you a few scriptures to show you how that word was used. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 14 to verse 15, you see where the word Mashiach was used. And this is what he said. He said, thou shalt bring the sons of Aaron. He's talking about Aaron, his sons, and clothe them with coat. Go to verse 15. He said, and thou shalt Mashiach them, anoint them as thou didst their father. In verse 13, you are going to see how their father was also anointed to become priest. Thou shalt anoint them to become priest like you did their father. He said that they may stand in the priestly office. So the word Christ or the word Mashiach is the power that brings a man into the priesthood. And Christ is the one that stood in that office of the priest. If you study 1 Kings 19 verse 16, you see two other times that this word was used. It said, thou shall anoint. 1 Kings 19 verse 16, quickly. It said, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to become king. So it is the Mashiach that makes you a king. Even if you are born one, if you are not Mashiach, you may never become. It is the Mashiach that makes you a prophet. And it is the Mashiach that makes you a priest. And he said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abimehola, he said, shall thou anoint to become prophet. So every time the word Mashiach is used, the Hebrew man has an understanding. So when they say, this is the anointed one, this is the Christos, they know exactly what you are saying. What you are saying is that this is the high priest of God. What you are saying is that this is the king that represents God. What you are saying is that this is the prophet that represents God. So when Peter said, you are the Christ, Peter was invalidating every priesthood that existed, except as they are connected to him, because you are the original priest. When Peter said you are the Christ, what Peter meant is that you are the true king. Every other king must submit to you and give allegiance to you. When Peter said you are the prophet, it means you are the one who represents the voice of God. Anything said that is not consistent with what you have said is a lie. So in one word, Peter made him the only one who carries God's presence. In one word, Peter made him the only one who carries God's scepter. And in one word, Peter made him the only one who carries God's word. And so because of this revelation, every other religion in the world is a lie. That's the power. What Peter said here made every religion in the world a lie. Respectfully speaking now, I know some people may be offended, but this is what the Bible teaches. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. There are no two other ones. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The life speaks of the presence. That's priesthood. The truth speaks of the prophetic. That's the word of God. And the way speaks of his kingship. 
That is the one who carries God's will, God's government, and God's possibility. This is what the Christ represents. So when we stand on the word of God and we call it absolute, it's because we say he's Christ. There's no other life. There's no other way. There's no other possibility anywhere. This is why only Jesus must be worshipped. When we preach as Christian that only Jesus is Lord, only Jesus must be worshipped, people may hate us, but it's not our fault. The Bible calls him the Christ. Now, what is the implication of this revelation to you? The implication of this revelation to you is also threefold. Number one, if Jesus is your priest, then he has made the presence of God available to you. Because now, he is not like Aaron that goes in and out once in a year. The Bible said he entered once and for all and made that way open for everyone. And that's why he lives on your inside. And so what it means is that you now have access to God's presence. The presence of God is not what you come in and out of. The presence of God is what you carry. So you have become like the ark. You are now the carrier of God's presence. Many people don't know the Christ. That's why when they feel something, they say they are under God's presence. And when they don't feel something, they say they are not under God's presence. When you are in the bathroom, if you know the Christ, the presence of God is there. If you are in the market and you know the Christ, the presence of God is there. Because now, the veil has been divided. The Holy of Holies is no longer hiding somewhere. The Holy of Holies is now on your inside. You have become the carrier because Jesus is the Christ. So the measure of presence we manifest is a function of our understanding and our alignment. Every one of us carries the presence. Every one of us live in the presence. But how many of us are manifesting the presence? Very few. Because we don't know the Christ. We, don't, we have not taught the Christ. We are not under the government of the Christ. Let me show you some scriptures. Hebrews 7, 27. Who needed not daily as those high priests who offer up sacrifice first for his own and for the people. For this he did once when he offered up himself. So when Jesus did it, he didn't do it like the high priests that do it daily to offer sacrifices for themselves and others. He did it once and for all, for everyone. And because of what he did in the heavens, Matthew 27, 51. Hear what the Bible said. It said, and Matthew 27, 51. Write these scriptures down. Meditate upon them. They will change your life. It said, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. The veil that shielded the presence. It said it was rent. So Hebrews 4.16 said. Come boldly. Come boldly. Come with assurance. Come with understanding. Into the presence. To the throne of grace. And obtain. So there is something for everyone now. Because everyone can come boldly. And we don't only come boldly. In John chapter 16. 14 verse 16 and 17. 
He said, now the spirit has brought the presence. He is with you and he is in you forever. So the presence is no longer in a place you go to. The presence is in you and with you. Why was that possible? Because Jesus is the Christ. He became your high priest. He didn't just take blood there on your behalf. He opened the veil. And he didn't just open the veil. He brought you into the veil. And he didn't just bring you into the veil. He took the presence into you. So now you are in the presence. And the presence is in you. So the revelation of the Christ. Is Christ your high priest. And because he's your high priest. You have access to God's realm. Number two. Peter said. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Meaning you are the prophet. What does that mean? What it means now is that in this dispensation you don't need a man to tell you the mind of God. A man can be used to tell you the mind of God but every one of us have access to the voice of God. In the Old Testament before you hear God a prophet must come to speak to you and what the prophet says is final. But now that the Christ has been revealed, what the prophet says is not final. Everyone hears God. And so in John chapter 10 verse 27, he said, my sheep heareth my voice and they obey me. So it does not remove the office of the prophet, but the prophet now brings you confirmation of what God has told you. The prophet now brings you what God is already doing with you. So you too can hear for yourself what the prophet hears for you. The reason many people are still confused, frustrated, and used by prophets is because they've not known the Christ. So some people are still thinking that the voice of God is exclusively resident with a few people. That's not true. In the New Testament, every one of us have access to the voice of God. My sheep heareth my voice. And they obey me. There are many other things those who are called into the office of the prophet are called to do. But over and above that, as touching the voice of God, the voice of God cannot be a stranger to you. The voice of God cannot be alien to you. The voice of God becomes now the compass for your navigation. And so every Christian can place demand on the voice of God. Every Christian can insist that he will hear the voice of God. Why? Because the revelation of the Christ makes the voice available. But you see, there are many Christians confused. There are many Christians used. There are many Christians destroyed because they don't know the voice of God. In fact, this thing is so real now that if a man is lying, you just know. You may not even be praying. He just comes to you and he says, God said, you say it's a lie. Because you too have access to the voice of God. A man comes to you and says, the Lord appeared to me yesterday and said I should. You say, no, that's not true. Out of respect, you may say, okay, thank you. But when he goes, I'm no longer in the days of Moses. I'm no longer in the days of Elijah. I'm no longer in the days of Jeremiah. I'm in the era of the Christ. Me too, I know. The other day, somebody came to me and acted so spiritual. Came as though he doesn't smile. <laughs> the moment he was coming, the Holy Ghost told me, these are the thieves. I, I, before he talked, I knew. Came. 
as though he was coming from the mountain for 40 days. And before he spoke, mm, ah, the weight of what he wanted to say was heavy. The weight. Mm, mm, he shook his head. It took him more than 10 minutes to give me what he was saying. You know. After he acted all the drama to convince me, he was done talking. I said, okay, thank you. I'll get back to you. Because while he was yet speaking, the voice of God told me, this is not my servant. This is not my word. So there is no drama. He can act before me to deceive me. And so you can be a senator. Nobody can come with a collar to deceive you. You know why? You have known the Christ. You too have the voice of God. You can be a businessman. Nobody can come to you to deceive you. If you are deceived, it's your fault. It means you don't know the Christ. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You are my prophet. You have made the voice of God available to me. Now me too, I carry the voice of God. I may not be a prophet walking in the fivefold ministry, but at least the voice of God, I have it. And because I have it, I'm insured. Because I have it, I have direction. Because I have it, there is a guarantee that my future is secured. Thou art the Christ. That's what it means. It means he's your prophet. And if he's your prophet, you too have the voice of God. And so what do you do? Begin to learn to function with the voice of God. You know the problem with many Christians? They don't spend time with God, so they don't know the voice. Because the problem with a Christian now is not the lack of the availability of the voice. It is the inability to recognize the voice. Because the voice of God is not necessarily loud. It's only distinct. There are many voices, but there is one that is God's voice. It's now available to you, but you have to spend time with God to know it. The people that walk around me every day, even if they disguise, I will trace it and know who. Unless I don't hear them talk. Because out of a thousand voices, I can pick their voice. So when Jesus was revealed as the Christ, he brought the voice of God into the spectrum of your hearing. Your job now is to stay with God and isolate that voice. Because you will need it for your business. You will need it for your protection. You will need it for your rising. You will need it for your preservation. You will need it for everything you do. This is why God is assured that your future is secured. Because the voice is now resident with you. Finally, you are the Christ. He's your king. And because he's your king, he has also brought you into the economy of royalty. He has also brought you into the economy of power. He has also brought you into the economy of dominion. In Revelation 17 verse 14, hear what the Bible said. It said, this shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. So he is not the Lord of slaves. He is not the king of servants. He is the Lord of lords and is the king of kings. So the lamb also made kings when he was coronated as king. And so every one of us that is in him have also been brought to a throne. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 6, it says, Unto him that washed us and made us kings and priests unto God. So the list of us sitting here is a king in the realm of God. The list of God sitting here is a carrier of power. There is a scepter available to all of us. So while you are contending for mantle, 
Be conscious of the one that God gave you. Because everyone now in the era of the Christ also has a mantle. Because we are all kings. There are scepters given to us. The problem is that most of us are not growing our scepters. And so we dump our scepter and we are pursuing the mantle of somebody that has gone to be with the Lord. Is there anything wrong partaking of a mantle? No. But there is one that you have. Because you too, you are a king. If you begin to grow it by the word of God, a day will come that your scepter will become a rod that can address a generation. A day will come that your scepter will become a rod that can address a nation because he didn't leave you without a witness. You are a king and you are a priest. So you need to be conscious of this thing. There are many people who are not aware. You find a king go to the market because of a change of 100 naira. He takes off his shirt. Now me, you they talk to like this. I go kill you today. I go, are you the one? You don't know who you are. You have not known the Christ. He said, if they force you to go an extra mile, a mile, he said, go an extra. If they take your shirt, give them your coat. If they slap you on one side, give them the other. He's not saying be timid, but he's telling you, don't condescend to their realm. You are royal. Don't condescend. When they insult you, leave them. They want to banter words with you. Before you say, Jack, they have said 30 things. Tell them it's okay and walk away. They will know you are not at the same cater. Not because you are trying to create an impression. You now know who you are in Christ. It is from that revelation that you will see a demon and address that demon. Because now you know there is authority with you. Now you know that you are placed in power. You know what the Bible said? It said a man in honor that knoweth not. It's like the beast of the feet that perishes. This is why many Christians are perishing. Because they don't know who you are. But from this conference, somebody will know that he is royalty. Somebody will know that he is nobility. Somebody will know that he is kingship. There is royalty on you. When you step out of your house, be deliberate. It begins from there. Dress well. Square your shoulders. Walk without fear. Walk with boldness. You are royalty. There's nobility in you. There's kingship in you. When people are condescending to steal, to cheat, don't join them. You are royalty. What would this sound like if you heard tomorrow that the man talking to you here was caught in a brothel? What would you sound like if you heard tomorrow that the man talking with you was caught in a fraud? You will be so disappointed. You know why? Because when you looked at me, you thought I was royalty. You thought he's an apostle, so he shouldn't do that. You thought he was above certain things. But the mistake you are making is that you are not recognizing yourself because you are seeing one on stage and seeing yourself sitting. Both you sitting and me standing, we are all royalty. A friend of mine told me he went to Japan and he, he, he boarded a cab. And the money he took for business, he forgot it in the cab. When he alighted, he was rushing to catch a train and get to his hotel. And when he got home, he discovered he left money. He almost died. He checked where he booked and eventually got the cabman's number and called him. And said, please, I, I forgot something. He couldn't even call it money. So that, <laughs> because in some places, if they now know it's money, they will, that's when they will block your number. He said, I forgot something in your cab. He said, please, how do I get it? The man said, oh, sorry. I've gone to another location and it's a bit far. But don't worry, I saw the money you left. You can pick it up from the office tomorrow. He thought it was a dream. The next day, he went to the office. 
They asked for his name, asked for his details, confirmed the number he used to book the cab and everything. They gave him his money. He was shocked. He went somewhere and counted it. Everything was complete. He now called the cabman in bewilderment. Why didn't you take the money? The man said, it's beneath us to steal. It's beneath us. Stealing is beneath us. That's not a Christian. But that's somebody who has a mentality of royalty. He said, how much should I give you? He said, don't worry. You don't pay people for doing the right thing. Royalty, royalty. But find Christians today. Just leave money. Before you know what is happening, half has gone. If you leave some money in the office, they'll carry it and relocate. In our country today, offices that Christians are money, snakes are swallowing money. Snakes now eat money. What, what species of snake is that? We need to go back to, to botany to study if there are new species of snake. Because we don't have royals anymore. But as you leave this conference, a new mentality will come to you. I am royalty. I'm royalty. I'm royalty. This is not living a fake life. This is just knowing who you are. Knowing who you are. It's enough. It's enough. Your safety is guaranteed. Your future is guaranteed because you are a king. You have a throne in the spirit. You can't behave like ordinary men. You are royalty. When he said you are the Christ, he called him the king. And if he called him the king, he also realized that him too have been introduced to kingship. Hallelujah. And the second revelation, please sit down, is the revelation of the son of God. Listen, there are many things that can happen in this conference. We can stop this kind of teaching and switch into the anointing. In one minute, change the atmosphere and begin to minister by the Spirit. But the emphasis of the conference is the revelation of the Christ. So you must know it thoroughly. Because the conference will not end after the meeting. It will continue to your office. It will continue to your business. It will continue to your family. So when the ministers that come eventually begin to release the power and the anointing, you will receive it in faith, but you also know that there's something on your life. And when you leave the conference, that one that is on your life, you will carry it. And you will know how to use it and steward it. That's why you need a thorough understanding. Before I came this morning, while I was yet lying on the bed praying, the Lord was already showing me, giving me words of knowledge about the meeting. And I was just shaking my head. I, I, I said, ah, if you come for a meeting like this, it's important you know the role you came to play. Otherwise, you'll be lost because of the many things. There are many angels stationed here for this meeting. Even before we came, many angels were already stationed here. The atmosphere from the beginning of the meeting was charged. If you want to operate in the prophetic from the beginning to the end, you can operate in it. If you want to operate in the power dimension, you can operate in it. It will take understanding your role in the conference to stay on your track. Elohim Adonai. Elohim Adonai. Elohim Adonai. Elohim Adonai. 
is called the Christ. It means he's your prophet, he's your priest, he's your king. If he's your prophet, it means you too have access to the voice of God. If he's your priest, it means you too have access to the presence of God. And if he's your king, it means you too are royalty. You too have authority. That means none of us is helpless. None of us is vulnerable. All of us are fortified for destiny. It also goes to mean that this destiny you have, you must fulfill it. Nothing has the power to stop you. Nothing has the authority to stop you. Because now you have the presence, you have the voice, and you have the scepter. Because Jesus is the Christ. Very quickly, Peter also said, you are the son of the living God. What does that mean? Hebrews chapter 1, from verse 1 to 3. He said, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets hath in this last day spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the world verse 3 who being the brightness of his glory the express image of his person upholding all things by the word of his power. When Peter called him the son, Peter was making a statement that you are the reflection of the invincible God. When Peter called him the son, Peter made a statement that you are the heir of all things. When Peter called him the son, Peter was making a statement that you are the responsible one that takes charge of God's estate. So three things that only this aspect of sonship implies is being the heir, being the one responsible to God's agenda and for God's agenda. And number three, being the expression of God. And so when we talk about the sonship, we are not just talking about the title, we are talking about possibilities. And because he is son, you too have been brought into sonship. In John Chapter 1, from verse 11, the Bible said, He came unto his own. He said, His own received him not. He said, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. So when Peter called him son, Peter was also calling you son. That's why when he resurrected, he said, I'm going to my father. And to your father. I'm going to my God. And to your God. So every one of us who know him as the son. Automatically become sons. And sonship. Is not a title. It's the ability to represent him. He said who being. The brightness of his glory. So when you are going to your office. You are not going as a manager only. When you are going to your office. You are not going as a sales rep only. When you are going to your office, you know that being a manager is a platform. You are going to manifest God. That's sonship. When you are going to your business, you are going to manifest God. So when people are looking for God, when you show up, they've seen him. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, it says, Be a followers of me as I am the follower of Christ. So when they see you, they should see God. 
a very heartbreaking story was told about Mahatma Gandhi. He read the Bible and he was convinced that Christianity was the right path to take while he was yet in South Africa on exile. And he said, are there any Christians here? I want to meet them because I want to walk with them. I want to accept their God. And when he came to church, it was the time of appetite. There was segregation. There was oppression. Even among the blacks of those times, there was wickedness that the higher class would not mingle with the lower class. So slave owners cannot relate with slaves. And when he came to church and they looked at him, they said, no, you can't be part of here. They gave him a place of, of segregation. And he said, oh, I would have accepted your God if I didn't meet you. He said, I would have become a Christian if I didn't meet one. So he believed the Bible, but the Christians made him to disbelieve what the Bible said. Because they didn't know sonship. They thought Christianity was the religion of church service. So people are fighting to sing. People are fighting to lead prayer. People are fighting to preach. But very few of us can represent Jesus. If you follow some of us to our offices and you say this is a Christian, <laughs> people will start laughing. Who? <laughs> Who is a Christian? Is it the Christianity we heard of in the Bible? Or this? Uh, which one? Are you? Is there a new kind of Christianity? In fact, they will start giving you a sign not to call them Christians. The people you are calling man of God in church, if you follow them to their workplace and you say man of God, somebody will turn and say, man of who? Who is that? Because that man you are seeing is the most treacherous in that office. But he has learned the way of piety. So when he comes to church, his hands are folded. He acts sanctimoniously. But when he goes out, he's a wolf in sheep clothing. We have not known the son. The sun is the brightness of his glory. The express image of his person. That's why when Philip asked him, show us the father. He said, you have been with me all this while you don't know the father. He said, whoever have seen me, have seen the father. In the same way, if our generation is asking, show us Christ, show yourself up. Christ is here. When they see your lifestyle, when they see your character, without asking, they should see Christ. When they see your ways, without asking, they should know that you are Christ. This is why they were first called Christians in Antioch. It was not God that called us Christians. Men saw certain people behaving so much like Christ, so they called them little Christ. But we have made it title, whereas this one's made it a way of life. A son is the brightness of his glory. The express image of his person. And this is why Peter was teaching in 1 Peter 2 9. He said, You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. God's own special people called forth to showcase, to manifest the praises, the glories, and the excellencies of Him. But because we don't know the Son, we think Christianity is to join a church and to use God. So when they say, In the name of Jesus, this week you are prospering. People are jumping and shouting. There's nothing wrong with it. But if that's all we know and do, then we are users of God. We are not representing God to a generation. You are the sun. Means you are the brightness of his glory. The express image of his person. You are the sun also means you are the one who accepts his responsibility. That's why I said sustaining all things by the word of his power. But this is our generation. When you say there's a miracle service, church is packed 
When you say, let's go for evangelism, you find 20 people. Because very few take responsibility. When you say, let's gather and pray for the nation, church is few. Why? Because very few understand the song. They don't know that sonship is responsibility. They don't know that sonship is maturity that brings you to a point where you take responsibility. When they come to church and church is looking good, everybody sits down, cross their legs. Worship is going on. They are taking selfies and doing video recordings. But when you tell them, let's sow seed to advance the cause of God, very few bring seed because they don't know the place of responsibility. They don't understand sonship. The true size of a church is not the people who attend the conference. It's not the people who attend the service. It is those who attend the prayer meeting, those who go for the evangelism, and those who give for kingdom advancement. Those are the church members. They are the sons. And so the goal of this conference, again, is not just to heal the sick. It's to raise sons. Because Jesus is the first begotten of the dead. And he has become the first amongst the many brethren. That's why he said he is not ashamed to call us his brethren. Because what he's doing is what we were sent to do. To bear the responsibilities of the kingdom. It is on this wise that we become heirs. Romans 8, 17 says, If we are children, he said, then are we heirs and heirs and joint heirs with Christ. But he didn't stop there. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. So the other aspect of sonship cannot be taken away. Where you bear the reproach of Christ. That's why he said concerning Moses. He said when he was come of age. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer the reproach of Christ. Than the pleasures of sin that was for his season. So he understood that sonship is to suffer with him. Sonship is to bear his responsibility. So when Peter was saying you are. You know why Jesus said. There's no way flesh and blood would have revealed this to you. This syllabus is too deep. What you just answered in one word, in one sentence rather, is the, the whole scope of Christianity. Flesh and blood could not have revealed this to you. You are calling me the heir. You are calling me the brightness of his glory. You are calling me the bearer of his agenda. And invariably, you are also including yourself. You, saw, you see why when they were to be killed, none of them ran away. Because they know Christ. They know the son. We don't know the son. We don't know the son. That's why our relationship with God is all about bless me, bless me. When you know the son, like John, like Paul, like Barnabas, you will put your life in jeopardy for kingdom advancement. He said in Acts 15, 26, Paul and Barnabas, he said, these be the men that hazarded their lives for the kingdom. We don't know the son. This is a generation of compromise. Just because they threaten your salary, you can lie a thousand times. Just because they threaten your, your, appoint, your appointment or your allocation in an office, you can compromise a thousand times. You can be part of a church member. At best, you are a child of God. You are not a son. Because it's one thing to be a child. It's another thing to be a son. A child is one who has eternal life. A son is one who has grown to maturity. He can image God. He can bear the responsibility of the kingdom. And he has the right to inherit what God has to offer. Very few have known the son. So the first revelation of the son 
is that he is the image bearer of the father, the one who bears the father's responsibility, and the heir who inherits the father. The second revelation of the son is the one the father gives, or the errand runner. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 16, 9 verse 16, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. I think that's 7 verse 16. Check it for me quickly. Unto us a child is born. He said unto us a son is given. And he said the government shall be upon his shoulder. I think that's verse 6. Check it for me quickly. He said the government shall be upon his shoulder. So a son is given. God trusts you enough to send you to run his errand. That's sonship. In John 3 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But now Jesus is not the only begotten son. All of us are the begotten sons of God. And you know how God gave him? God gave him as a ransom. So he came to die. He came to bear the reproach of God. So anyone who knows the son, his Christianity migrates to the realm of self-denial. Because to be given means to understand the verdicts of self-denial. And there are few Christians who understand self-denial. Christianity today has become a move of self-centeredness. And so all our prayer, self-centered. All our doctrine, self-centered. All our prophecies, self-centered. All our testimonies, self-centered. We don't know the son. When we know the son, like Jesus said, we will carry our cross and we will follow him. This is why Christianity is gradually becoming like a powerless move. Because until a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will abide alone. Many want to see the move of God across Africa. They want to see the move of God across the nations. Who can bear that weight? We are too alive in ourselves to carry those burdens. The move of God rides on the blood of the martyrs. And so a generation that has not understood self-denial cannot come close to the move of God. Those of you who are in Lagos, you know that although there are many churches in Lagos, but when you go to Lagos on Monday, you'll be shocked whether there are Christians in Lagos. So it's not about the many churches. It's about those who understand the verdicts of self-denial. But that dimension of Christianity will only come if we know the Son. So while the Christ gives us advantages, the Son proves our loyalty. The Son proves our commitment. The Son proves our convictions. And the way it shows is through the verdict of self-denial. There are too many selfish, self-centered Christians who are only out to use God. And that's why Christianity appears as though it is failing. The Christianity of the fathers is the Christianity of the old rugged cross. They know that you are not a child of God until you are willing to suffer his reproach. Until you are willing to bear his shame. Until you are willing to carry his burdens. And I can assure you, even among pastors, there are very few. Very, very few. Most of our meetings are in conference centers where there are air conditions. How many apostles have you seen going to the village? Is it only in city centers that apostolic ministry should work? Go and check the days of Paul. They went from village to village. And they also went from city to city. But our own ministry today is only from city to city. 
you will not find village to village. And it's not just apostles and prophets, even music ministers. When it has to do with an auditorium, with air condition packed, everybody is highly anointed. How many of us are going to the villages where there's no light? To make things worse, when you invite us now, we must first of all negotiate the price before we come. Is that the Christian or the Christianity that can carry the move of God? The Christianity of show? The Christianity of flamboyance? The Christianity only of city centers? Even those of us who are here, if this air condition shuts down now, some people won't sit here for 10 minutes. And we say we know the sun. And so we have to do everything possible. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with excellence and comfort. But I'm saying like Paul, we must understand how to abound and to abase. That's Christianity. And only the generation that knows the son can practice that kind of Christianity. Invite an apostle who is busy going from city to city to the village. And you will see suddenly how his itinerary is booked. Because it's not designed to preach in a village. He only preaches where the sound is top notch. He only preaches in city centers. He only preaches to the elite. Those are the kind of apostles and prophets we have in our generation. Those are the kind of music ministers we have in our generation. And all of us are guilty. A generation that knows the sun must rise. Where someday you leave Lagos with all the flamboyance, you say, let us go to Sokoto. Even there, they are souls. They don't only win souls in Lagos. Where we say all our invasions will not only be in the UK and in America. There should also be apostolic invasion in Mozambique. There should also be apostolic invasion in Zimbabwe. There should be apostolic invasion in the creatures of Africa where there are no luxury. Apostolic invasion should not only be on flying British Airways and Virgin Atlantic. Apostolic invasion should also involve sitting on a ferry and riding on boats. Apostolic invasion should also involve trekking in the mud and carrying your bag on your head. Until you find those who are on the other side of the mountain. Where you can preach to them. This is the generation that knows the sun. That's why our power now has become manipulation and theatrics. Every dimension of power is people falling down. Where are the chronic men that had twisted ankles? Why, why can't we see twisted ankles stretching out anymore? Like it was in the days of Allen. How can't we see blind people that have no eyeballs? They have no balls in their eye socket. Why can't we see them grow out? Why, why can't we see in our meetings anymore, crutches lined up and witches lined up. In the days of the fathers, when you come to church, it's not only LED screen you see. On some walls, you see crutches hanging from one side to the other to prove to you that Jesus here is not theology. Jesus here is power. When you come to the gate of the ministry, they welcome you with witches and crutches. They are hanging there. To show you that what we are talking about here is not English language. It is power. But only those who know the son can be entrusted with such dimensions of power. We are the days of the likes of Kobus van Rensburg. Men that on a casual prayer meeting, crutches are dropping as if they are joking. They don't even have enough time to pray. You come with a crutch, it's a walk. Walk that walk carries be healed. That walk carries in the name of Jesus. That walk carries everything. Walk and somebody drops crutches, strength enters in, and he starts walking. The days of Maron Branham, 
where a man can come, he's lying, say, no, what you are saying is a lie. This is what the Holy Ghost is saying. The days of A.A. Allen, they bring a child, the leg is like rubber, there's no bone. He holds the child, thank you, Jesus, puts him on the ground, and while you are yet watching, bones are created. And the child begins to walk. Where are those Christianities? The Christianities of the person in the hostess, where men are called back to life. As if they are just inviting somebody for a birthday party. Where are those Christianities? Those are the men who know the son. The raw power. The rugged power. That can challenge principalities. That can challenge princes. And that can cause governments to bow. Those kinds of power is for those who know the son. Because they have become the ones God gave to a generation. They say unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. It is sons that carry the government. He said the government shall be upon his shoulders. If you are not given, you can't carry the government. And like I said, all of us are involved. This is not pointing fingers at anybody. This is a wake-up call to a generation. That if our Christianity ends up in auditoriums with air conditions and LED screens, and we are not willing to bear the reproach of Christ, we cannot see the everlasting powers of the living God. Who do men say I am? You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. The son is the ransom that the father gives for a generation. My time is up. Can we bow down and pray this morning? we bow down and pray this morning listen there will be many activations in this conference there will be many impartations in this conference I'm trying to prepare your heart so that you can receive everything God will deposit so that you can receive everything God will drop on you more anointed people more senior ministers are coming to minister your heart must be ready to receive. You must know the Christ and you must also know the Son. What I would have taught you about the Son if I continue is that the Son is the one that endures the chastening of the Lord. He said, if you are not a bastard, then you will endure the chastening of the Lord. He said, if we have earthly fathers that chasten us and we obey them, why will we not submit to the chastening of the father of our spirit that we may live so there is a kind of life you cannot live until you are chastened by the lord that is still the office of the son that's why the bible said he endured he endured he learned obedience through the things that he suffered it's called sonship that many times god can chasten us that many times god can rebuke us that many times god can break us because the potter will break in order to mold. It's called the revelation of the son. The processes of the spirit. The men that find the backsides of the wilderness and come back with powers. Powers of the ages to come. Powers! He said Moses went to Horeb, the backsides of the mountain. That was where he saw the bush burning. That was not consumed. We have escaped the backsides of the wilderness. We have looked for the Christianity of pleasure. 
the Christianity of flamboyance, the Christianity of motivation. We have not endured it. The chastenings of the Lord. And that's why power has become rare. There are no men that speak and governments cower. There are not men that shift that nations open. We organize revival meetings and the territory returns to status quo one week after our visitation. Not the days of Paul. When they entered the city, they took it. The Bible said Philip went to Samaria. He preached Christ there. The whole city was full of joy. The whole city. What did they know? In the days of D.L. Moody, the, 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 the church history told us they entered the city. Even without preaching, the anointing, people begin to go under the anointing. And there were cities they entered. Alcoholism stopped for sometimes more than 100 years. Alcoholism stopped. We heard of men like John G. Lake. He entered Spokane in the United States and the whole city was cleansed of sickness. Not church, not church announcement. The medical facilities there recorded that Spokane was the healthiest city in the world because an apostle was there. Sickness was banished. The Elmudi entered the city. Alcoholism was banished. Because when sons appear, the government of this world shall be upon their shoulder. Every one of us must go back to the drawing board. We don't pick and choose God. We accept the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. Thank God for what we are doing. But there is more. This is not to discourage anybody. But this is to encourage us that whatever it is we have seen, there are still virgin dimensions in God. There are realms in God. There are heights in God. And we must outdo the fathers because they came to prepare our generation. They invested into our generation so that we can do much more. But we must have the revelation of the Son. In the days of the apostles, the Bible said women receive their dead back to life. So women ministry is not about praying for my husband, praying for my children only. Women ministry is also about raising the dead and bringing them back to life. Women who did not have names. It's a time we fail me to speak of Gideon, to speak of Barak, to speak of Jephthah, to speak of Samuel, to speak of David, and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, obtained righteousness. He said they shut the mouth of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. He said weak men were made valiant in fight and they put to flight the armies of the alien. And he said some of them were sown asunder. They did not, they did not change their mind that they may have a better resurrection. What did they see? What did they see? The hand of God is coming upon us this morning because a generation of sons was rise. A generation of sons. Sons, sons, sons are not males. Sons are those that have come to maturity. A generation of sons. That's the revelation of Christ, the son of the living God. Can we cry? Can we cry? Can we cry? Lord, purge us of selfishness. Purge us of self-centeredness. Purge us of pride. Raise a brand tested in the fires. Help those the Lord is touching. A purging process is going on. He said he shall thoroughly purge the sons of Levi. That they may bring an acceptable worship unto God. Purge us, Father.
We refuse this normal mundane life. We have a higher calling that we must fulfill. Thank you, Lord. I don't know where you are in the name of Jesus. I don't know where you are this morning, but there is a summon in the spirit. There is an invitation. There is a call for sons of order. Men that can bear the weight of the kingdom. The reproach of Christ. Very quickly, in another two minutes, I'm rounding up. If you want to start a new walk with God and say, Father, I didn't know better, but now I understand that the God that maketh it alive also kill it. That it's not just about to abound, but to also abase. I want to accept the verdict of sonship and submit to you completely and be rid of this selfish and self-centered Christianity and come under your lordship and your government so that you can use me for whatever pleases you. If you want to make that confession this morning, join me on the altar and hold on to the horns of the altar. When the roll is called up yonder 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 I'll be there the son of man I am he said you are the Christ 
and you are not just the Christ. He said, you are the son of the living God. That day when the trumpet sounds, many will be called. It was Jesus that was speaking and said, until the time of John, some will possess errors and dispensations. When those days come, may we not be left behind. Look at the mighty works of exploit. Even our fathers in our generations are doing. How can we be lukewarm and dormant? You speak of that the E.A. Adeboe addressing millions in different nations, winning many to Christ. What am I doing? You speak of the fathers like Bishop David Oedeko. Millions at their level, they are going to the streets to win souls. How can I be relaxed? He said, woe unto him that is at ease in Zion. When the Reverend Chris Akilomes are manifesting God at another level. When the WF Kumuyis are manifesting God at another level. This is only in our generation. There are over hundred of them. Not to talk of the many generations that have passed. How can we be dormant? How can we be nominal? How can we be like every other person? No wonder I say you are daughter's generation. He said, no idea not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. A generation must rise that know the sun. I want us to pray now. I want us to pray now. Making absolute commitment to Jesus. This morning, I know most of you probably are already born again. And so you are not necessarily confessing the resurrection but you are confessing the lordship. You know, the resurrection is confessed once, but the lordship is confessed again and again because hearing is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Thank you for being a part of our broadcast. You know, we never like to end without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Coming into Christ is beyond joining a church, is beyond a religion, it is joining God's family. And that is done when you believe in Christ Jesus. So I just want to lead you right away now. If you, are, if you want to give your heart to Christ. Just say after me, say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again and that you paid for my sins. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. And from today, I belong to you. If you have said those words, will be late. You are born again. You are part of God's family right now. You can go ahead and rejoice about it. God bless you. We love you. Stay blessed.